0: Summer we're going to start our study of, of spiritual gifts. Uh, we're going to spend our time through uh, July and August uh, looking at a study of, of these things. Uh, our text for the study throughout this series is going to be uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. I'm only going to take the first verse today of uh, 1 Corinthians 12. That's not indicative of how long this is going to take. Uh, but uh, I think it's important for us to kind of get a basis as we start Studying this topic in First Corinthians twelve through fourteen you have the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in Corinth about miraculous spiritual gifts. Uh, and what is really, I have seen going on around us probably, in, particularly recently, it is really a great resurgence uh, in the things that are considered charismatic and miraculous, things of the Holy Spirit, uh, topics like that that have led to an awful lot of questions. Uh, I think you see a lot of misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit, a lot of confusion, Uh, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so that's been the object of of this study is wanting to look at what Paul has to say about miraculous spiritual gifts. And some of the questions that I think we have to answer as we uh, introduce this series is, well, should Christians be speaking in tongues today? Should Christians have gifts of healing or gifts of prophecy? Uh, Are healings that you see other people's people doing or these tongues? speaking that you see others do either on TV or in other religious groups? Are those things legitimate? How are those gifts received? Are those things that we ought to be practicing? Uh, And I think it's important to especially address this now because I have even uh, of my own friends and my own brethren and preachers that I know that are close to me that I even went to school with uh, who I see who are teaching something different than the way I see the scriptures teaching concerning The Holy Spirit, miracles, and gifts. Uh, And so I think it's important for us to address it and look at what God has to say uh, about these things. Uh, As we begin this, I want to tell you where I'm coming from and then implore you to do the same thing. Uh, As I approach this and knowing that I have friends who don't see eye to eye with me and I see what they post on Facebook and I go, I'm not sure I agree with the things you say on those things and emails that we have and things like this. I grabbed every resource and book that I could that argued against my position of what I think. So I I want you to know that I'm not coming into this going, okay, let me tell you how I think it is and you ought to go this way too and and disregard all the other ideas. I grabbed everything I could uh, that stood against my understanding of of the Scriptures and tried to argue myself out of every possible position uh, that I I presently have. And so I entered this study with my best attempt to be without bias and open-mindedly read what everybody else argues for all the different varieties of positions that people have on this. And as we go through this, I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. That wherever you are in this and the things that you grew up with or the things that you were taught or heard, to let's just take the Bible, let's just start from scratch and let's see what God has to say about spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit, miracles and all that. And let's walk through uh, this study together uh, this, this summer. I think as we begin... And before we can really move into an in-depth study of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we have to recognize that as Paul writes to those Corinthian Christians, they already possessed the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so as he writes that letter to them, he's not talking to them about how you receive those things. They already have them. And you'll notice in chapter 12, verse 1, what he says is, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. And that's kind of the basis of today's lesson. That's why it's just verse 1. <laughs> we are writing and studying these things today because we don't want to be uninformed about spiritual gifts either. And apparently, the Corinthian Christians, though they had miraculous spiritual gifts, Paul had to write to them and deal with some of their questions, three chapters in our Bibles, to make sure they were not uninformed about these gifts, how they were to be used, and what they were. All about. And so as we approach this, we to recognize, well, they already have the gifts and it causes us to need to take a step back and consider, well, how did they receive those gifts? How did they even get those gifts in the first place so that as we read through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, we can understand what they're doing, what they are practicing, why they are doing the things that they are doing. For that, we really need a whole study of the book of Acts. So we'll have to postpone Scott's going away thing this afternoon, and we'll just study Acts for a while, and that way we can keep him here a little bit longer. Instead, we'll just have to do Acts chapter 8. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8 and we'll just spend our time there but the book of Acts is so instructive to us because it teaches us about what Christians were doing in the first century it's a great book to read as we see now that Jesus is risen from the dead and he's ascended back to the father and here are the apostles and the Christians and look at the things that they do look at the things that they were teaching how does one behave as a Christian the book of Acts is a wonderful book to read in regards to that. Chapter 8, I think, is very instructive to us concerning how Christians received spiritual gifts. If you would notice with me, Acts chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So here we just have a man, Philip, And he is now going to the city of Samaria and he is now preaching them the gospel of Jesus. Verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. What I want you to observe is look at what Philip is able to do. Philip, you'll notice in verse 6, it says he's performing all kinds of signs verse 7 might be explaining what those signs were he's casting out unclean spirits he's healing the lame he's healing the paralyzed he's performing miracles is what he's doing in Samaria so here he is he's teaching the gospel he's confirming his message with signs wonders miracles healings casting out unclean spirits and all the city verse 8 is rejoicing over this message Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people in Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. By the way, if anybody ever runs around and says he's somebody great, he's not, and don't listen to him. There's a great message even just right here. Here's a guy named Simon. He's able to do magic, and he thinks he's something special, and he's making sure everybody knows about it. Verse 10, They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. Is saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. For they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with magic. Okay, so here's the city of Samaria. Simon is there, and they've all been wowed by him over the days and years, however long Simon's been there, because he does these great magical signs, whatever they are. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women even Simon himself believed and after being baptized he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed he was amazed so you have a contrast Philip is doing whatever I mean excuse me Simon's doing whatever he does magic that wows the people When Philip comes in and does miracles, everybody turns their attention away from Simon to Philip and says, he's somebody, he has the very message of God. They all become believers and are baptized. Even Simon himself, whatever magic he's doing, he sets that aside and goes, wow, that's actually for real. Those are miracles. And he follows after them too. And they continue, verse 13 says, seeing the signs and great miracles that Philip is performing, they continue to be amazed. Verse 14, This is now what becomes the key of our study today, and I think begs an important question. So here is Philip; he is teaching the gospel, and he is performing miracles, 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 casting out demons, and even they, those who become Christians, he still performs miracles before their eyes. Why does two apostles? Why do these two apostles, Peter and John? have to travel 37 miles from Jerusalem to Samaria by foot. Do you notice that there in verse 14? The apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans are receiving the gospel. And we have to ask, so why do we have to have Peter and John, important apostles, doing their work, leave Jerusalem travel 37 miles, you know, it's not in a car, all the way up to to Samaria. Why is that necessary? Notice that verse 17 explains it. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's a conclusion that is being drawn here in the book of Acts. The way that Christians received spiritual gifts was that apostles had to come and lay their hands on Now notice in case we didn't make that clear enough, verse 18 makes it even clearer. So now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. So the scene makes it clear. Why would Peter and John have to go all the way to Samaria? It doesn't make any sense, except only the apostles are able to do this. And verse 18 makes it clear. Here's Simon and Peter and John. and He goes, oh, the apostles are the ones who give spiritual gifts. Philip apparently is unable to do that. And so we draw a conclusion here. Philip, though not an apostle, but he possesses miraculous spiritual gifts, is unable to give that to other Christians. It's not possible. Otherwise, why waste their time? Why make these apostles have to spend a couple of days to come all the way from Jerusalem up to Samaria? Why why do that? Well, it's apparent because Philip is not able to impart that to them. He is even performing miracles himself, but he cannot transfer that or impart that to another person. And verse 18 makes it clear because Simon says, ah, I see how that happens. The apostles by laying on their hands to other other Christians. Now, I want you to consider this is not an anomaly in the New Testament. The New Testament over and over again emphasizes that this is the way spiritual gifts were given. Romans chapter 1 and verse 9. Listen to what Paul says as he introduces his letter to the Christians in Rome. Paul writes... For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Here is the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in Rome. And he says, I wish I could come. It is my desire to come. I want to strengthen you. I want to be with you. And in particular, he says, I want to go there so I can give you a spiritual gift. And I think it's an important observation. There's already Christians in Rome. There's already a church there. And yet Paul says, I need to come there so that you can receive a spiritual gift. We're seeing Paul confirm what Acts shows. Christians are not able to give these gifts to other Christians. Nor was Paul able to write and say, Now here's what you need to do, Christians in Rome. I want you to pray for miraculous spiritual gifts and they'll come upon you. And here's what you need to pray. Or say these words. Or want it really bad. Or do some kind of thing among So Paul says, here's the way you're going to get the gift. i got to hurry up and get there. I desire to come to you so that I can impart to you some spiritual gift. The thing about, it, he's got to make a big travel to go to Rome. If it were some easier way. Would he not write to the Christians and say, instead of having to wait for me for months until I can get there to give you spiritual gifts, just pray to God and he'll make it fall on you. Why didn't he say that? Because it wasn't possible. If there were some other way, some easier way, surely Paul would write that here. But instead he says, I'm doing my best to come to you so I can strengthen you and give you a spiritual gift. He writes the same thing. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He tells Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame, of, uh, flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Why didn't Timothy pray for some spiritual gift? Why didn't Paul just simply say, here's what you all need to do. Pray for the gift and you'll receive it. We're drawing something that I think is really important. And I hope in this first lesson, you will key on Acts chapter 8. Because in all of the books that I picked up, in all the studies that I did, I did not find anybody deal with this text. Nobody wants to deal with Acts 8, 15-18. Everybody goes everywhere else running all over the place for spiritual gifts, but nobody will zero in on that one text. Only the apostles were able to impart those spiritual gifts. And that only happened when the apostles laid their hands on another Christian. Acts 8 is clear about it. Paul says it to the Roman Christians. Paul even says it to Timothy. That's how Timothy had received it. Nobody wants to deal with that. I don't know why. But I think that is a critical text. Acts 8 is defining and explaining to us how these gifts were transferred, how these gifts were given. The apostles are the sole carriers of that power. Remember how the rest of Acts 8 goes. What is Simon trying to pay for? He's not trying to pay for miraculous spiritual gifts. I grew up as a kid and I misunderstood that. They're all doing that once Peter and John get there. He's paying for the ability to transfer it to other people. He wants the power that Peter and John had. Peter and John say, that's not happening. And by the way, that's uh, selfishness, greed, and pride, and uh, you better repent. There's no way to receive that gift. Only the apostles could do it. Which leads us into a very necessary conclusion. A critical conclusion that we have to draw: since only the apostles are able to impart the spiritual gifts, and nobody else, then I'll ask you: what happened when the apostles died? They stopped. It's a necessary conclusion. Since Acts 8 is very clear that only the apostles could do it, that's why Peter and John have to travel 37 miles up to Samaria. And why Paul would write to the Romans, I know you don't have any spiritual gifts yet. I'm longing to come to you so I can give those gifts to you. And why Paul said to Timothy, I laid my hands on you and that's how you received these gifts. Since the apostles are the only ones who could impart the gifts, And it was through their laying on the hands to other Christians. And what happens when they die? No longer could the gifts be imparted to other people. We won't be there yet. Eventually we'll get to 1 Corinthians 13.8. But by the way, Paul says that in the text we're studying in this summer series. 1 Corinthians 13.8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Here is Paul writing and saying, you know, all those miraculous spiritual gifts, they're going away. We'll spend a lot of time in that text eventually. But just to observe, even the Scriptures themselves acknowledge that these things were temporary. There was only going to be a short window of time that these miraculous spiritual gifts would be going on. And as we study Acts 8, it becomes clear to us, the window is, as long as the apostles were alive, they could transfer gifts. But once they died, the transferring of these gifts would have to stop. It wouldn't be possible for them to do it any longer. Now this leads to a really important second question that often comes up. And you'll probably see this in groups today. Well, we have apostles, right? And you might have seen it. Well, we've got our apostles and our apostles and they have the gifts and they get transferred to other people. The Bible is very clear about the definition of an apostle. There were three tests that had to be passed to be able to be a true apostle of Jesus Christ. Number one, they had to be an eyewitness to the physical resurrection of Jesus. Stop right there and go, okay, that's a really big hurdle. <laughs> okay? <laughs> that, that's not an easy one to climb over and say, okay, I'm an apostle. Because I saw Jesus risen from the dead bodily. And if that hurdle wasn't high enough, remember that Paul says he was the last person to see Jesus alive. As he writes in chapter 15. He appeared to me last of all. He's Pilate God. That's it. No more. To be an apostle of Jesus, number one, you saw Jesus alive. That was a critical part of this resurrection appearances process as Paul describes all those in chapter 15 there were many in the first century who saw Jesus risen from the dead there's nobody today that has seen Jesus risen from the dead number two you were appointed directly by God not only did you have to see Jesus alive and and risen from the dead then you had to be appointed by the Lord had to be given by him that's an important definition that's given as well is that God has to be the one to select you And then number three You're able to perform the miracles That authenticate your apostolic appointment These are the things that Paul describes even of himself. He says, I'm doing the signs of an apostle. This proves that I am an apostle, though I came later on. I saw the risen Lord. I was selected by Christ himself, and I do the signs that show that. These are the things that we would have to look for. These things do not occur today. Anyone who claims to be an apostle in the definition of what the Scriptures define as an apostle fails on all three of these. On all three. And so we don't have apostles today. That's what made those men in the first century unique. That's what made Peter and Paul and the rest of those men unique. Those were not to be replicated over the generations and centuries. Those men stood as unique individuals put in service by Jesus himself to represent him as his ambassadors throughout the earth. Now... I think it's important to make something clear in the final few minutes. And I feel like you do a lesson like this as you kick off miraculous spiritual gifts is now you have to start talking about all the things you don't mean by this. And the reason why is because anytime I've had a discussion with somebody, typically the response goes like this. So you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You know, you don't believe in miracles. You don't believe that, that God is at work today. So let's just... Set all these things aside and let me go through these things right now. Number one, I am not denying that Christians receive the gift of the Holy Spirit today. I am not denying that. Yes, you do. Okay, that'll be number one. I'm not denying that. Don't want anyone walk here and go, well, this place is weird. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Or, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Not denying that Christians receive the gift of the Holy Spirit today. I'm not denying that Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit today. Yes, they are. I'm not denying that Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit today. Yes, you are. Okay? I'll slow down on those just so you can write those down real quick. I want to make sure you have these six things I'm not denying. Okay. Yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's alive. Yes, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yes, we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not denying that the Holy Spirit is alive and active today. Not denying that either. Nor am I denying that God still speaks and works in this world today. That's all for well. You don't think God's doing things? We'll certainly do most certainly do. And number six, I'm not denying the supernatural or that God works miracles. I absolutely believe in the supernatural and believe that God is working miracles. These things are not the issue. And what I have found is this is usually the smoke screen. Since you think that the miraculous spiritual gifts were only transferred by the apostles, that means you don't and then there's this whole big ball of things that I'm told I don't believe. (laughs) You don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You don't believe God's alive. You don't believe in miracles. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Absolutely do. Yes to miracles. Yes to God. Yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes to all of those things. The question is, how? What does the Bible mean when it says we are filled with the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible mean when it says that we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is active? What do do those scriptures mean? That's the question. That's why you're going to be here all summer, right? Because that's what we're going to answer. We're going to go through all of that in this study. So I don't want you to walk away and go, okay, this is going to be weird. It's not. We're all on board with the Holy Spirit here. But I want us to recognize a critical thing that the Scriptures teach us. Miraculous spiritual gifts were only imparted by the apostles to Christians. That's what we see in Acts and in Romans, and in 2 Timothy, and really throughout the whole of the New Testament. That's what we see going on there, and that is the conclusion that I want you to draw from this. I want you to consider as well as we wrap up this morning, this introduction, how rare miraculous gifts actually were in the Bible. You have the tendency to think, well, everybody throughout the Bible is doing miracles, right? It's just on every page. And I want you to actually consider the rarity of that. John MacArthur made this declaration, which is what kind of made my brain kind of think about it for a while. And he said, but the Bible records only three periods of history in which human beings were given the gift of performing miracles. The first period was during the ministries of Moses and Joshua. The second during the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. And the third during the ministries of Jesus and the apostles. Each period lasted only about 70 years and then abruptly ended. And I thought that was an interesting conclusion because I think what he's getting at is to see miracles just going on were actually rare windows of time. You know, think about the days of the prophets. Is Malachi performing miracles? Is Amos? Jeremiah? I mean, these things are unusual. There would be an occasional one, and then you would have these great windows of Moses who's doing these amazing things. And then there would be a spattering, and then suddenly Elijah and Elisha, whoa, tons of miracles appear on the scene, and then it just kind of huh, shuts off, and you kind of, okay, here's an unusual one here all of a sudden, and all of a sudden Jesus and the apostles come along, and boom, here's a pile of them again, and then they die off again. And so I think it's an interesting thing to consider is that do not read the Bible and think, well, miracles were just going on every single day. Think about the thousands of years that are being traversed in the book of Genesis. Tons of miracles in there, right? (laughs) No. You get to Exodus, oh, now here something happens. You read through all the prophets. Tons of miracles going on? No. Then Jesus arrives. Boom, here's all these miracles going on. So I think that's an important recognition, and that's why I end with that first verse. We need to make sure that we are not uninformed. That's how Paul begins this section of his writing. I want you to know about spiritual gifts, and this would have been something they would have understood. They only received these gifts because the apostles had laid their hands on them. Which leads to an interesting dynamic as we study the Corinthian church. Because you can imagine that as they're teaching the gospel and they are joining God and following Jesus and now joining in the group of Christians in Corinth, you're gonna have a mixture of people who can perform gifts and those who can't all. Because the apostle had to directly lay their hand on. And so imagine as those People in Corinth are teaching, 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 and more becoming Christians. Is there an apostle in Corinth? Well, only as one passes by. And so you would have churches with mixtures of people who had gifts and did not have gifts. And that'll kind of I think set the tone of why we have a tension in the Corinthian church over miraculous spiritual gifts and what they're doing and what they're performing. Those are the things we'll look at in our upcoming lessons. So that's our conclusion then for this morning is to consider that it is the apostles in the New Testament alone that are able to transfer those gifts. That's what the New Testament describes for us. And if you ever have a question about that as you discuss this with your friends, please direct them to Acts 8, 15-18 and ask for an explanation of that text because I'm still waiting for one myself and all the books that I have. No one wants to deal with It was through the laying on of the apostles' hands. And how that defines everything concerning miraculous spiritual gifts in the first century. Lord willing, in our upcoming studies, we're going to now traverse through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and look at the answers to the questions well, what about us today? What does the Holy Spirit mean for us? What about gifts for us? What does this look like now for Christians today? We're going to spend our time doing that. And just one other plug for you. We're going to use the Wednesday nights for this as well. Our Wednesday night study is going to be your opportunity to raise your hand and ask all the questions you have in the world about the Holy Spirit and miraculous spiritual gifts. And so if you have questions about this, Come back Wednesday at 7 and we're going to do each Wednesday night go over the material and the text that we've covered on Sunday morning and answer those questions as well. So that's what Wednesday night we're going to be doing. So I'm not trying to bulldoze you at all. I want you to bring your questions and we'll be able to go through these piece by piece so that we can all have clarity together about what the Scriptures say about these things. Okay, pull your psalm books out. We'll sing invitation song and we're inviting you to come to Jesus. We're inviting you to see... The greatness of our God who imparted gifts to his apostles as he promised. And those gifts were wielded to prove the word of God that they proclaimed. A message of salvation. A message of grace and hope to the world. That Jesus had come, had died for the sins of the world, had risen from the dead three days later. And the apostles went about proclaiming that message, validating that message with the signs and wonders that they performed. We encourage you to respond to that very same message of grace and hope. To turn away from your sins this morning. To confess Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sins and was raised from the dead. And then be immersed in water to have your sins washed away. To be reconciled to God and to be joined with Him. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?